I'm Ren Young. And I'm Katrina Vargas. And And this this is That Other F Word. All right, guys. Today we're here with author Valerie Alexander. Um, We met Valerie a few years ago at the East Tennessee Women's Leadership Summit. She was the keynote speaker. I happened to have the honor of being a panelist that year. Ren was a panelist the next year. Um, And so we kind of formulated this relationship with Valerie, whether she liked it or not. We really, (laughs) (laughs) we kind of swooped in because we had the concept of wanting to do this podcast two years ago and then finally got it to fruition, mostly because of Mitch Wheeler. Thank you, Mitch. Um, (laughs) But she, one of the things I noticed about Valerie before before we even st- and really introduce her, as a, I've been to a lot of conferences. I've never seen a keynote speaker stay the entire conference. She was there from the beginning to the very end, and I was, I was just really impressed with mm-hmm. not just her. I mean, her speech or her talk about what we're going to talk about today was amazing. But the fact that she stayed all day said something so much about her character to me, and I, I just I loved her so. I've I've never taken so many notes in a session at something like that. It was almost like an entire college course packed into, into an hour. Yeah, um, and I will say I was incredibly taken with her and thought she was amazing. But Katrina and she really sparked off whatever is the female version of a bromance that day. So I we what did. Is that? I, don't, I don't know. It was it was amazing. We were, she's just she's just a really neat person. She's got. All kinds of really cool stuff about her. And so I guess here we can give a little bit of her background. Um, she's an author, a speaker. She's a screenwriter and a director. Um, she's she, a former lawyer. She, yep, she's a former lawyer. She's a She was a, an investment banker. Yep. Um, and worked in Silicon Valley. Yep, she writes screenplays. And I mean... She's worked with Joel Schumacher, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Ice Cube. She also has a Hallmark Christmas film. What's it? Let's see. With Christina Milian, called Memories, Memories of Christmas. Of Christmas. <laughs> I like. It's the only Hallmark movie I think I actually want to watch. Yes. Uh, well, no, I like some of them, but this one's going to be the best one. Not going to lie. Um, <laughs> we will put all, all of Valerie's bio and everything up on the website, so you can really see how how awesome she is. And I I am the self professed queen of effing everything. Valerie Alexander is actually the queen of effing everything. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing she can't do. Right, and she's she's a really cool person too. So she's not just, you know, this. Rin and I work with lawyers all the time. They're not necessarily our favorite people. <laughs> no, I think they're amazing. <laughs> Yay, great! No, lawyers are but good people. They're good people. It's fine. But like, you know, she's she's just all of these things, including being a really cool person. Um, she was willing to do the podcast, and and like I said, she's she's just she's awesome. We, we really like her. She's a great and dynamic speaker. And if you ever have a chance to, to read her work, see her work, you really should. And we'll give her a chance to talk about everything that she's doing. But she focuses a lot on happiness right now. So she's a speaker. She's a coach. Uh, and as we said, an author. Her books include Happiness as a Second Language, A Guidebook to Achieving Lasting Permanent Happiness, and Success as a Second Language, A Guidebook for Defining and Achieving Personal Success. And then also the book that she wrote that led her to the conference we were at, How Women Can Succeed in the Workplace Despite Having Female Brains. And then female brains, you know, is in quotes. And she just really talks about all all of the the ways, you know, we're pre- kind of pre-programmed to be the way we are. And so she'll get into that today. 
we're really excited to have her on. And you so know, excited. This has been a very long time coming. This has been. It's, I mean, it's literally been two years. And I know we say that a lot, but really we have been for two years really trying to get this thing going and to fruition. And, and we're here and we've got her. So we hope you enjoy because we certainly are. So, Valerie, we have some questions that we ask everybody that we interview. So, the first one is, are you a feminist? A hundred percent, absolutely, and I never deny it. Awesome. <laughs> and, and, and I also don't condition it, which one of the things I find really disappointing is women will say, I'm a feminist, but... And it's like, uh, but is the most negative word in the English language. It, it defeats everything that you said before it. Yeah. So <laughs> I grew up with a father that said, but a lot. So I, I totally, yeah. agree. I totally <laughs> agree. And it doesn't need to be qualified. We, we agree hundred percent with you on that. Good. Um, so our next question is, what do you think about feminism? I think it has been the victim of some really insidious PR campaigns. <laughs> I think that, um, there has been a movement against feminism in this country that has been well-planned and long-ranging and have gotten women to turn against our own best interests. And we need to reown that term um, as a way of just saying it is, it represents anything a woman wants to do. Being a fem, I'm married. I'm happily married. Right. I just made breakfast for my husband yeah. because I love doing that. There's nothing anti-feminist about that. Exactly. And yeah, <laughs> well, and, and these, yeah, this is the narrative we have to get out in front of with feminism. Is the the reality of feminism is that it has to be about making sure women aren't prevented from doing anything that any other human being is permitted or free to attempt. You are really speaking our language. (laughs) (laughs) Who do you think of when you think of feminism? Oh my gosh. So many women. Um, uh, Harriet Tubman, number one. Awesome answer. Oh my God. Like, I, literally greatest living female leader and so underrated and not well studied enough in schools. This is a woman who secured her own freedom and went back dozens of times to save hundreds of other people. And it's just like, you just don't get more courageous than that. I literally have seen very few male figures in history with that level of courage um, and decency. So that's a big one. Um, that's excellent. Yeah. Uh, Hillary Clinton, and I will share with you why. She is the absolute symbol of feminism, which is somebody who really did nothing but do her job well mm-hmm. and get completely decimated for it because it's so easy to start those rumors. It's so easy to tear someone down. Um, here is somebody who empirically by studies that have been done and proven is the most honest politician that has run for an office for that high office of the last two decades. And yet the, the moniker that can be stuck to her and that people believe. And the fact that there are still people saying, well, at least uh, we didn't have Hillary. I just, I, I can't, my eyes don't roll hard enough for that. Well, we, we've talked about that here. And when our, when our current city mayor ran, she's, she's a woman. 
she got the things they talked about were wildly inappropriate, and it was just because she was a woman. You know, we didn't have those conversations about any of the male candidates that ran. And right. it was just ridiculous that any anything even would have been brought up with regard to that. And so we just thought that was really interesting when, yeah. you know, when that happened. And so what you're saying really does align with that. I mean, just at a bigger global scale, right? Exactly. It's it, it, it's every workplace. It's every woman. Um, I I I work in a variety of fields, and one of them is the entertainment industry. And I was at an event, and um, my my husband and I are very good friends with a man who was the president of a studio, and we were standing in a circle of people with all men, and they were all like literally studio heads and we, they were talking about different executives and where they started and how they came up the way. And then they mentioned this woman who is a very high ranking studio executive. And someone's like, Oh, where'd she start? And he said, Oh, at, and I'm not going to name the studio cause I don't want people to figure this out. He said, Oh, it's such and such place. Let, let's say like, you know, um, Phoenix studios, which is not a real studio. So, and I'm not talking about Phoenix pictures, but let, let's say he said, Oh, at Phoenix studios. <laughs> mm-hmm. And this is exactly how the conversation was. They're like, where did she start? He's like, oh, at Phoenix Studios. She was working for Joe Schmo. And, and the other guy's like, oh, yeah. Then she started sleeping with him. Uh, mm. Which you do mention it was, in your book. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was literally the second thing said about her. We never talked about who anyone else in the conversation had ever slept with, right. number one. Number two, that had nothing to do with the advancement of her career, even if it was true, which by the way, it probably wasn't. Right. right. Well, and that's that's just an easy narrative that they've done to pick, you know, that they've just picked up on, right? It's a thing, we, which, right. it, it's ridiculous. Um, okay, so <laughs> my last control question is, what's the last thing you Googled? And, of course, if it's going to get you oh. in any kind of trouble, you can go to the second last thing. <laughs> no, no, I can tell you the exact last thing I Googled. I was in the audience yesterday for America's Got Talent, well, I go. I try to go to the live taping once a year because it's really fun. Not the live taping, the the audition taping round. It's really fun because you get to see the really untalented people. And <laughs> they had a trivia question that if you posted the answer on, if you DM'd the answer on Instagram to the host, there was a you could win a prize. And so I googled. The question was, who was the first act ever to get the golden buzzer? So I googled it. And then because I'm in a room with 3,000 other people, I, I, I couldn't get on Instagram. So I texted my husband. I'm like, go on your Instagram and DM this answer to this guy. That's really funny. <laughs> and he did. And I won one of the door prizes, which was dinner for two. Excellent. Well, congratulations. That's a great well, thank to you. Google something, especially <laughs> if you're going to win something wonderful. <laughs> yes. So it was great. Awesome. Okay. So I guess we'll get into the meat of this thing because we're we're a big fan of course we said we we introduced you and said how we met you and we've heard this talk but we really loved the book we really loved your talk and so so this is this might be a little bit of an unfair question since you wrote an entire book on the topic but sure just as we get started could you kind of in a nutshell kind of explain the premise of your book and why you decided to research it sure I was asked to give a talk at the LA Film School on how women can succeed in Hollywood. And at the time, I'd already written my first book on happiness, which was happiness as a second language. And I got very interested in the brain science behind happiness and how our brains function for happiness. And when I was asked to give this talk, I was much more interested in brain science than in Hollywood at the time. And I had just begun to discover the scientific research behind the differences between the male and the female brains. 
And so I said, can I give the talk on how women can succeed in Hollywood despite having female brains? And LA Film School went, uh, sure. <laughs> and so I started doing a lot more research on the evolutionary biology behind it. And in a nutshell, we began living in tribes about 2 million years ago when the hominids first showed up on the scene, which were the first among us to walk on two feet and not be covered with fur. The first ones were Homo habilis. They were a giant leap forward in, in evolution. And one of the things they did is they built tools. And when you build a spear, you can hunt bigger animals. And when you can hunt bigger animals, you need more people. So they began living in tribes. And now they had to worry about the survival of the tribe. And survival in the biological definition is the ability to reproduce itself. So they had to make sure that for their tribe to survive, it could reproduce itself, which meant they had to make sure the women didn't die. Mm -hmm. A tribe with 10 men and 10 women, if they send 10 men off to fight in a war and only two come back, that tribe will be able to reproduce itself happily for those two. Right. <laughs> <laughs> if they have sent 10 women off to fight in a war and only two come back, the tribe will die out. Two women cannot effectively reproduce a tribe. And so... We're all descendants of the tribes that survived, right? which means we're all descendants of the tribes that somehow decided over trial and error, not by committee because it was men making the decisions, um, but somehow decided, let the men do everything that will cause instant death. <laughs> and that was hunting big meat and protecting the cave and keep the women back at the cave doing everything else, literally absolutely everything else. Every other task was done by women. They skinned the meat, they prepared the food, they cared for the elderly, they tended to the sick, they raised the children, they fished, they foraged, they engaged in early stages of agriculture. They hunted for small animals. If, if it didn't cause instant death, women did it. Right. And so... We just like that, long, torturous death. <laughs> yes, <Sorry>. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, slow, slow death of ennui. Um, but, but that division of labor took place about around 2 million years ago when we began living in tribes. When that happened, our brain was the size of a meatball. Hmm. If you look at the fossil record, look at the early um, man, essentially, uh, the skull slopes backward. And the skull, skull slopes backwards because that front part of the brain, the prefrontal lobe, the prefrontal cortex did not exist. It didn't exist two million years ago. It took about 1.2 million years for the frontal lobe to evolve itself into existence. Cool. And it's because we had so much more processing needs now that we were living in tribes. We, we, we needed to make complex decisions. We needed social interaction. We needed to control our emotions. We needed language. We needed better memory. All kinds of things. And so the prefrontal lobe evolved itself into existence over a period of about 1.2 million years. And this is the point I make in the book mm -hmm. and in the talks, mm -hmm. and it has to land because it's this is just fact. Now, I know that we currently live in a post-fact world. But <laughs> we certainly do. Fact, yes. The fact is, the part of our brain that controls our emotions, our social interaction, and our decision-making did not exist until after we had separated our tasks by gender and determined survival based on a different set of skills. And brain activity is hereditary. 
Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of studies on how brain activity is hereditary. We could easily go into those. But the very simple thing I tell people, if you have ch- children, have you ever seen your child display a trait that they've never seen you do, but it was something you did as a child? Right. And well, everyone says yes. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. No, well, we we talk we, we were talking about this because in your book you talk about how men turn off their brains and and how we can't, and you know, it, it's not fascinating. And, by the way, yes, we the relationship yes. game changer. Yes, <laughs> I mean, we, we were explaining that to our our producer who's male, and he was like, "Yeah, it makes sense," and because we're like, you know, Valerie explains it in such a the way you explain it makes so much sense. It's not just oh, you guys just don't have thought. There's a reason, and and evolution. Right. I mean, well, how we started formed that, and so. You know, we've changed, and we'll talk about, we'll ask you about, like, kind of the evolution of gender roles, but Mm -hmm. there is a basic, just way we were, how we were originally, which causes those things. You know, like hunting woolly mammoths, for instance, you know. Um, the, the, The human brain and the whole rest of the human organism is literally a machine built for survival. It is a machine built for survival. Any activity that doesn't increase our ability to survive is going to be bred out eventually because the people who don't survive don't reproduce. Mm -hmm. And anything that enhances our ability to survive is going to get passed on generationally. Right. And just so everyone, if you have not read the book already, which is very silly of you. The the male <laughs> the male traits that, that she talks about are quick decision making, aggression, competition, the ability to be completely at rest, which all sound pretty familiar if you're thinking about, you know, some of those men in your life. And for females, mm-hmm. we developed multitasking, expression of emotions, collective decision making, cooperation, and inclusion, which all of that makes complete sense, I think. Well, it does, mm-hmm. you know, when, when Val, like we said in Valerie's book, if you read it, it, it does. And the way you broke it down, Valerie, it's because the way the tribes had to function. And so we evolved, like our brains just worked to function for what they had to function for then. And, and an important point here is that both trait profiles were equally valuable to the survival of the tribe. Right. Both were equally needed and equally necessary. Right. And well, and, and you also talk about not being male bashing that that kind of that circles to us too. these things are all important. It doesn't make one of us better than the other. It means we served different functions. We still we still can. It doesn't make anybody the enemy or worse or less or better. It's just right. We're we're the right. same. We're the same, but different. <laughs> <laughs> um, the the evolutionary biology on this topic started with Darwin and with Descent of Man in 1870. And Darwin was a raging misogynist. I mean, he was literally writing to prove the superiority of the male over the female. And all of his acolytes, uh, Topinard and Gustave Le Bon, all of them followed that same model. And I think Topinard was the one who coined the phrase, the active male and the sedentary female. Um, And they believed that because women didn't have to get physically stronger, they were antithetical to evolution. And it wasn't until 1967 that that view got challenged because in 1967, a woman entered the field of evolutionary biology. (laughs) Right. It was Adrienne Zillman at UC Berkeley. Go Bears. (laughs) (laughs) She wrote a dissertation called On Human Locomotion, a Reexamining of the Anatomical and Historical Evidence. 
and uh, it's such a perfect it's right. a, it's the most dry title but the, you think about what it is you re-examine the anatomical and historical evidence and you discover what she called the active male and the equal but differently active female right that's right I mean, yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. (laughs) Thank goodness. (laughs) Thank goodness women like you write books because that's all we have. (laughs) Thank goodness you can write a book. Like, you know, what I think you in your talk talk about or little, it was, it I guess, little girl or, you know, it's always like, you know, some little girl, gosh, you could just write a book. Good for you. Like, <laughs> wow. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful for that. <laughs> oh, well, it's funny. I have an article I wrote recently about being the CEO of a tech company, which I am right now, and the entrepreneurship journey. And it's, there's a man whose name I'm blanking, so I won't try mm-hmm. a, a bill who started idea lab, which was the first real incubator in Pasadena. And he has his history in on their site about how he started as an entrepreneur when he was, you know, six years old or 10 years old, buying candy bars and reselling them for more money at school. And when I was doing stuff like that, I was constantly being told, oh, people aren't going to like you if you try to make money off of them. <laughs> right, <laughs> you right. Know, don't be so greedy. I, I have four really specific entrepreneurial moments in my youth that got shut down. Mm-hmm. because that wasn't ladylike. It was too greedy. Um, I would, I shouldn't be trying to get money from my friends. And it, it took a lot for me to overcome a lot of those beliefs. Right. And I wonder how often that messaging happens to little girls. I think it happens to grown women still. Yes. I mean, oh. I know you've seen it. <laughs> I'm in, I'm in a board for a, a tech ladies board and at least once a week, some woman has to come in and say, well, I got a job offer. I tried to negotiate for more money and they rescinded the offer. Well, uh, she wasn't being very ladylike. That's right. Yeah. Ladies aren't supposed to negotiate for their salaries. This is, this is the typical response. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We thought you'd be more grateful or we thought you'd be more enthusiastic. Well, and you're out in California. You're not down here in the South where we are. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, We I are, and imagine. Knoxville is among the worst for equal pay in women, just well, by the way. Well, no, I meant, <laughs> I, I, so I would expect that here. I, I wonder if people would expect that less out. I would out, have expected you know? it less out in California. Yeah. I think they're a lot it, more progressive, so I would not. We are more it, progressive, yeah. but the Silicon Valley is one of the worst places for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is it? Sense. Is it because it's male-dominated? It's, it's. Mostly that it's, mm-hmm. um, and, and you know, you know, my nomenclature on this, I don't believe we call it male dominators, male designed, and it was designed right. to reward right. natural male instincts. But yes, there are certain expectations of women. I find it so interesting that women are expected to be grateful for a job offer. No man yes. has ever been expected to be grateful for getting a job offer. Right. Um, but, but so here's, by the way, I'm going to, the best way to defeat unconscious bias, because by the way, the person rescinding that job offer never in a million years would think or admit that they rescinded that job offer because that's a woman. Right. And so the only way to defeat unconscious bias is to hang a lantern on it right. up front. Mm-hmm. If you're going to negotiate for more money, you say, so I am very excited about this job and I really appreciate the offer. I know that traditionally it's held against women when we negotiate for more money, but I know I'm also going into a really equal, fair workplace and that that's what's expected of me. So I'd like us to start those negotiations. 
I do. Dice. Yes. I, I, so in your book, you do spin that. You spin things a lot that way. Instead of being a negative about yourself, um, you talk about the quick decision making that is rewarded in men and women. You know, we don't. And in the way right. you talk about when you've made a mistake, how you how you phrase that, it's this, I think it's similar. Um, you're basically mm-hmm. not setting yourself up for failure. You're setting yourself up for the win. So when you say something like that, you're setting yourself up to have a, a successful ne- negotiation instead of setting yourself up to fail in that negotiation. Um, right. And so that's kind of what you, I, you talk about that in the book also. You know, if you if you have made a mistake, instead of saying, "Oh man, I messed up," and I'm sorry, which by the way, I tell people to stop apologizing all the time. Um, <laughs> women, women, a, a lot of my friends, I'm like, if you're, unless you're sorry, you're actually taking away from when you're sorry. But so you always talk about setting yourself up for the win instead mm-hmm. of for the failure, and so you know. Well, and well, more importantly is with. Quick decision-making is a form of putting out fires. And, like, look who we value the most in society, the firefighter or the fire inspector. Right. We clearly value the firefighter more highly. Now, the fire inspector is the one who prevented the fire from happening in the first place. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot more valuable. Right. And, by the way, you know, I never, ever say behave like men. We bring so much value as women. We bring so much value as women. And we have to remind ourselves of that every single day. But, and there, no, I'm using the word but. (laughs) What we (laughs) have to do, we have to examine the traits that are getting rewarded in our workplaces and make sure we're exhibiting those traits. Mm -hmm. So if you are the person who prevented the fire from starting in the first place, keep doing that. That is so valuable. But when the fire does start, also be the one who puts it out. Mm-hmm. By the way, even if it's the fire you started. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and Absolutely. if it is the fire you started, you don't walk around saying, hey, I started that fire, but it's out now. Right. That's right. The, you, the you, one thing, yeah. You just do women it. Will, yeah. We announce when we're wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, gosh. When, when, yeah, when you make a mistake and you get something wrong, go fix it and then go tell everybody how to fix it. Mm-hmm. Because you know what? They're not sitting around thinking, oh, she was wrong. No, she it, fixed if the problem. You, yeah. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you make a mistake that creates a problem and then you solve that problem, you go around telling everybody, hey, there was a problem, but I solved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even if, you, you, even if you created it. Like you said, as, as long as it's been it. solved, it's solved. It's fine. Solve it. And nobody exactly. looks back at the, at the, mis- the first mistake. It's, it's already been fixed, so the mistake's already erased. It's moot. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, the other thing that women do... Uh, we walk around and we're like, oh my God, I'm so stupid. I should have never done that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you, you hear women use language like that in the, work, in the workplace. And I will share to, I'm speaking directly to all the women who say things like, I'm such an idiot. I should have never told you that. Um, if you speak like that in your workplace, it is not your fault. Mm-hmm. It is not your fault that you have developed that style of speaking. It's because in most workplaces, they're designed to reward someone else's natural instincts. And that means you're swimming against the current. Mm-hmm. You're swimming against the current. And when you're swimming against the current, what happens is you look over at the guy swimming in the current and you think, damn, that guy's a good swimmer. Right. I wish I could swim like that. I mean, by the way, the guy over in the current is thinking, damn, I'm a good swimmer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Not> <laughs> Believe me, that person is not thinking, oh, here I am in the current, getting ahead that way. Right. Yeah. He's and just, so, mm-hmm. yeah. So when you remind yourself of this, when you're always swimming against the current, 
you're becoming a really strong swimmer. Yeah, right. So another thing that you talk about is women kind of having an aversion to hierarchical structures. So yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Um, Could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. We don't have the instinct for hierarchy. Again, the part of our brain that controls social interaction evolved itself into existence while we were around a campfire um, forming consensus and agreeing collectively who was going to care for the children, who was going to skin the meat, who was going to keep the fire burning. And so we don't have this instinct for hierarchy. Men formed their social interaction processing center in combat. You had to know who you answered to. You Mm -hmm. had to know who answered to you or the entire battalion died. Right. And so women don't have an instinct for hierarchy. And this hurts us in two ways in the workplace. One way is women are five times more likely than men to be labeled difficult in a performance evaluation. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not because we're always complaining about the cappuccino machine not working. (laughs) It's because if a boss gives an employee a task and says, research A and research B and come back and tell me your results. And the Employee looks at both and comes back and says, okay, looked at it all, A is better. And the boss says, all right, we're going with B. If that's a male employee, he's going to say, you the boss, and leave. Mm -hmm. And if that is a female employee, because women are only concerned with the outcome and we don't have instinct for the hierarchy, she will say, no, 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 I don't think you understand. A is better. Mm Mm-hmm. And the boss will say, I understand we're going with B. And she'll say, but look, here's all the pros and cons of A. Here's all the pros and cons of B. Here's my research. Here's everybody I talk to. No, A really is better. And the boss is going to say, yes, but we're going with B. And she'll say, but you're wrong. <laughs> and now she's difficult. Sure. And when I talk at companies and I get to that section of the talk, someone at the company is always like, um, please don't tell our employees not to disagree with the boss <laughs> when the boss is wrong. <laughs> Uh, and yeah. my response is always, then change your metrics. Right. If been, she's yeah. not going to be rewarded for disagreeing with the boss when the boss is wrong, if that's going to hurt her career, if she will be penalized for that, then I'm sorry. I'm going to continue to tell her to learn how to say, you the boss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, oh, go ahead. So I, I also was just wondering, and this may be because I work in higher ed, and so there's a definite, like, uh, structure there <laughs> um, and sometimes other things come to I, I wonder do you think any of it is that women kind of assign like value as a person to being in that hierarchy or do you think that has anything to do with it well he, here is the other thing the other half of why it hurts us in the hierarchy Be, the, one of the reasons we don't regard our boss differently and higher is because we don't regard ourselves differently and higher and this is the other half is women way too easily give up our places in the hierarchy just to get the job done right yeah just to advance the cause just to reach the best outcome we will go do someone else's job for them a job that is not on our plates a job that is excuse the phrase beneath us Mm -hmm. because we just want to get the job done and the problem is when you step out of your place in the hierarchy, you leave a void. Mm-hmm. And you leave a void that someone else is only too happy to fill. And that if someone above you is looking down, they don't see you over off to the right, solving a pro- you know, fixing a problem or doing someone else's job. They see the hole 
where your leadership position is held. And I tell women a lot, look, yeah, there's no I in team. We get that beat into us all the time as women. There's no I in team. Be a team player. You know what else? There's no B-O-S-S. Mm-hmm. When you are in charge, you are not a member of the team. Now, this is what plays out in workplaces a lot. And we're, we're seeing it change. But unfortunately, we have to do the exhausting work of changing it. And that is women don't get as much support from our subordinates as our male colleagues. Oh, right. Well, I see that. So I'm in, you know, I'm in the legal field also. And so at first, so I will say that part of your book, when I first read it, of course, I was like, you know, because I am a subordinate to attorneys. Ah, Um, Okay. But what I will say is there is equal respect in both, you know, I'm treated with respect um, Mm -hmm. by my bosses just because they're attorneys they don't treat me I do my job in the hierarchy I am below them and so mm-hmm. I you know without you know I know my place <laughs> that is my it's pl- a weird I, thing to say well yeah, I, I don't have my JD so I get it I there are things I was hired to support them and I, I, I do support them and they recognize that I'm not treated and in your book, you certainly do not say that. But at first, you know, when I read it, I was like, "Uh oh, here, here we're going, right?" So, because I was, you know, I'm, I'm pretty big fan of yours. And, uh, and the first time I read it, though, at first I was a little bit scared. But then you're right. So I see it all the time. I have two bosses that are younger than me, one who's older, but I see a lot of my older lady counterparts not being respectful of their younger women bosses or even their younger male bosses. It does happen now. Um, yes. And because they're, they're, they're of a generation where we didn't treat women quite the same or they don't treat younger people the same. Well, you did go to higher ed. You got a higher education. You de- deserve a level of respect. And I deserve it back because I'm a human being. Um, and if we're all respectful to each other, we don't have problems. Um, and, right. and we will do our jobs when I'm treated with, I mean, I do, I want my bosses to succeed. That means I succeed. It means I keep my job. Um, and, and there's a respect in both directions. Well, and what I try and, to remember, sorry, Valerie, you go ahead. No, no. Uh, well, so what I was going to say is, and the, the, the examples in the book that I'm talking about, and this is, is the really unconscious bias that happens against women from subordinates that people don't even realize is happening. And in the book, I talk about that my assistant asked me if I wanted to learn how to enter my own timesheets into the billing system, which yes. was 100% her job. I mean, right. it was literally as, her job to do. As a, st- as a support staff person, I thought, oh, my God, no, she did not. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then so then I start asking around and asking uh, who else has had this experience. And I find out that of the 14 male attorneys in our group, none had ever been asked if he wanted to learn how to use the billing system. We had a partner who didn't know there was a billing system. <laughs> right. Oh, yes, but, because they're mamaing their boys. You know, right. I mean, there is a level of that going on, right? And so, yep. and, and you know, and a, you know, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but of the six female attorneys in that group, I was the only one who had never entered her own timesheets. We had someone who did it regularly. And I asked, why? Why would you use a resource as precious as your time? on work someone else is being paid to do, one answer is, oh, it's not that hard. That makes me crazy. Oh, but that's not the Women point. Things, you yeah. can use a copy yeah, machine, too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, look, washing my car is not that hard. I don't do it. <laughs> right, um, right. But also, the other answer was, oh, it's just easier. 
Well, and, and that, that, yeah, go ahead. I was, so I have a male boss and I think that he, I, I thought about this after your talk actually. So, um, I think our relationship works the way it's supposed to. He would never ask me to do something he didn't actually need me to do or wasn't in my job description. If something, and I'm happy to help him at any time, and I ha- I'm happy to help him look good at any time that I'm able to do that. Mm-hmm. I brag to people about what a great boss he is. And he also, if there was ever any trouble, would be the one to take the responsibility for it and stand in front of me if somebody was mistreating me. You and know, That's what... What you're describing is a sponsor relationship, and that is the most important thing women can have in any workplace is a sponsor. We always tell women network, mentor, um, uh, you know, find ways to get ahead by helping each other out. All of that is true, but the most important thing you need in a workplace is a sponsor, and that means that's the person who speaks for you when you're not in the room. Mm-hmm. Yes. The sponsor is the person... I. My boss, my I had a male a partner that I worked for, and he was such a great sponsor. He put me on deals that other people would have put me on. But I will tell you one great story of sponsorship. He he was the most powerful. Uh, he was the highest billing partner in the firm, and one of the most powerful. And he hated going to meetings, so he never went to meetings. <laughs> I mean, he could get away with that. Sure, except yeah. one. Yep. One meeting he went to, one particular meeting that he went to because he knew what was going to happen at that meeting. And that is, there was there's a thing in the law, in securities law, called the blue sky laws. There's federal securities law that you have to follow for a lot of transactions, but also each state has their own separate securities laws. Right. And these are called the blue sky laws. And so a law firm, every law firm has a database of these, and that has to be updated every year to make sure that nothing's changed. That is the literal definition of scut work. Finding out if all of the state laws, updating the Blue Sky database, um, it's it's internally billable, which is the worst kind of billable. It's right. like worse than pro bono. Um, <laughs> it has no client interaction. It has no partner interaction. There is no reward for getting it right, but there's giant penalties for getting it wrong. It's just terrible. Mm-hmm. And... My boss knew that they were having a meeting to do all kinds of things, and one of the things was assign the Blue Sky update to someone. So he showed up for that meeting. And they got to that agenda item, and the chair of our department said, okay, we need to update the Blue Sky. Uh, how, how about Valerie? And someone else said, great. And that was it. That was the entire discussion. And my boss said, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and everyone in the room went, what? And he said, no, I have run too many other deals. I need her. She's going to meetings. She's going to the printer, which is a financial thing that securities lawyers do. He said, I, I can't spare her on that. Find someone else. Mm-hmm. And deciding I would do it took less than five seconds. After I was taken off the table, they debated it for the next 20 minutes. Wow. Right, because they and didn't it, want to waste some of the, one of your male counterparts' time, but they were willing exactly to waste yours. Right. That was exactly right. And let me tell you the outcome they came up with. But actually, we had a really good senior paralegal. And this is probably a job that could be done by a senior paralegal. Mm-hmm. And so, and by the way, that's that's great for her. It was a woman and she, she was so bright and so wonderful. Her name was Ray. And 
it was the perfect job for her. And it didn't, now that doesn't matter that it doesn't have client interaction. It doesn't matter. All all the things that were negative about it for being an attorney are great for her as a paralegal. And it was a really good boon to her career. So it it worked out to be the best solution, but it was a solution they never, ever, ever would have come up with if a female attorney hadn't been removed from the equation. And they could literally could not bring themselves to assign the task to a male attorney. Yeah, it's, that's crazy. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm in charge of the law library at my office, so I, I fully understand what... And I actually recently got an assistant to help me. <laughs> because, <laughs> Good. <so. laughs> yes. Paralegals should have assistants. It's, it's a big deal. I mean, it just happens, yeah. right? And so y- you just find the best person. <laughs> um, so right. one of the, the last thing that you have that you talk about is speaking the language of success, which I think is huge. So... Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. That that goes back to that, you know, you don't walk around saying, oh my God, I'm so stupid. But there's there's really important phrasing that women can just start to put into practice right now. If you're in a meeting and you're going to contribute something, please don't open with, I might be wrong. <laughs> Um, I might be wrong, but do we need a new electronic electricity contract for this building? Right. Well, if you might be wrong, nobody <laughs> Well, you stop but, and it doesn't, it doesn't even have to be that blatant. It can be, would everyone agree? Uh-huh. Would, would everyone agree we need a new power contract for the building? Well, what if no one agrees with you? What if as soon as you said it mentally, they were like, oh, no, I don't agree with that. Right. You now have, you're now an uphill battle to prove that you're right. Mm-hmm. You gave them an out so, immediately. Yeah, yeah. You, you've already checked them out for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's what I tell women. If you're going to contribute in a meeting, announce that what you're about to say has value. Mm-hmm. And the way you do it is you say, here's what I think. And then pause just for a beat, just for a moment. Th- that pause is long enough to make everyone in the room realize someone just spoke, look up from their phones. Um it slows you down, which is really valuable. You want to always slow yourself down when you're contributing. Mm-hmm. So you say, here's what I think. This building needs a new electronics contract. And feel how powerful that sounded. Right. And how effective. And so one of the other things that happens to women is we are dismissed in contributions. We're, we're, we're turned off or shut down. And so we try to give ourselves the authority. We try to make sure that everyone in the room knows that we know what we're talking about. And it sounds something like this. Um, so I managed four of our buildings. The last three just got new electronics contracts. Those have been really effective. We've saved a lot of money with it. And I've been looking at this new building and this building really needs a new contract for our power supply. So I think that we need to get a new contract. Right. Okay, well, how long ago did you stop listening? You said the same thing a minute ago in two sentences. Right. And so you if you want to give yourself authority, give yourself authority. That is a very good thing to do. Do it in 10 words or less. Mm-hmm. That would sound something like this. I've achieved great results with my other three buildings, so here's what I think. Right. <laughs> or this is my area of expertise, and here's what I think. Or, I've been leading the research on this for the last two months, and here's what I found. <laughs> right. Give yourself the authority. It's fine, but do it in 10 words or less, and then pause after that. Mm-hmm. So now you pause twice. Mm-hmm. You give everybody two chances to realize that you're about to say something really important. 
Well, how, how, so on the on that vein, how how much pushback have you gotten from be, for being? You know, I've been called aggressive and combative my entire life, um, right? <laughs> because I've been like that pretty much my entire life. I've not been. You know, Rin says it all the time, and other people, you know, I've got kind of male mm-hmm. or male energy. I'm a lot more <laughs> assertive and aggressive than, you know, women, right? That are in general. Right. I'm, I come from Miami, right? So I'm different. It's like you're from California. I think we're, it's different than being a little Southern Belle here. You know, they're raised kind of a little bit more in their place than we are, I guess. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but, but I've been, the, it's not always well received, especially here when I moved here. Um, Mm -hmm. because women aren't supposed to, we're not supposed to be aggressive and we're not supposed to be, um, so how, how much pushback have you gotten? Well, that's part of the reason I say the phrase, just here's what I think, Mm -hmm. because you're not, (laughs) I'm very careful not to police tone on women because that happens to us a lot. Right. But. I, there's that but again, so I'm defeating everything <laughs> I just said. No, no, no. <laughs> um, decide going into it that you're going to be listened to. Mm-hmm. And if you decide walking in that you're going to be listened to, look at, um, look at how school teachers communicate with their classes. Mm-hmm. That The expectation of being listened to is... This is what we're doing. And that's now not aggressive. You're not saying, you know what, everybody, here's what I think. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> You're saying, and look, if you want to really achieve power at that moment and you don't want to sound aggressive or assertive or, well, be assertive. If you don't want to sound whatever it is that might be negative, you say, oh, here's what I think. And I'd like us to discuss it before we move on. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's not aggressive. Right. Um, but you make them discuss your point before you move on and that way two minutes later when someone with a penis says the exact same thing <laughs> you can say thanks bob for bringing it back to what i was what i brought up right and don't be afraid to do that just don't uh, it is awful that we have to police our tone well, it is awful. It, right and it's it's such a we teeter right so you part of what you yep. say is we kind of have to adopt some of this male stuff but if we adopt that male stuff we get kind of penalized sometimes or you know we have a connotation assigned to us because of it you know if you're the only golden retriever sitting there at a table full of german shepherds you're you're looking around the table and you're thinking okay i got this yeah i got i can hang with these shepherds They're not going to notice I'm a golden retriever. <laughs> Which we do love that you reference the dogs, by the way, in your book. Yeah. Um, that's, that's from, like we said, dog people. We, we love that. And it, it really does help um, paint a picture. Um, I mean, all of these things in your book, the way you write it really helps make it make sense in a, in a really oh, relatable way. So we really appreciate the way you wrote it. The, the fact that you took the time to write it. Um, how did, what research, like what, what, I, I, we know why you well, did it because people told you, like they kind of pushed you to do it. What, what was your, what did your research look like? Um, well, I'm going to share a little secret with you and I guess all of your listeners, <laughs> but uh, the research was all the evolutionary biology, okay. evolutionary biology, and then Dan Gilbert's work on the, the evolution of the brain. Okay. So it's so interesting. All the evolutionary um, anthropologists have 
got have come to the results about the living in tribes and building tools and dividing our work by gender. And then the brain science researchers are all talking about how our brain started expanding in size and adding new compartments and adding new functions. And that all happened two million years ago. And nobody put those two things together. Like, like, <laughs> seriously, I can't be the first person who put those two things together. Oh, well, we think that Alexander, think you might, are. <laughs> I think I might be. But in terms of the book, and I will share this because I'm a little bit overly proud of this story. If you do anything that is entrepreneurial or that is in the public sphere, set Google alerts for everything in your life. I have Google alerts for my name. I have Google alerts for all of my books, for my author's name. You know, I, I publish a series of books that authors write under contract for me. So everything in my life, and I, I run a tech company, I get a Google alert email once a week with a giant summary and I get to look through all of it. Mm -hmm. So one day I gave this talk and about a week later I got a Google alert for some of the phrases mm. and I opened this blog post and it was the entire content of my talk with mm. no mention of me. Oh, oh no. no. And I said, oh, over gosh. my dead body. <laughs> <laughs> but at that point it was just a talk. Right. And so luckily by this point, I'd already owned my publishing company. And so I knew how to do this. I took all the notes. I pulled them together. I wrote it up as a book. I sent it off to my layout artist in India. He did the layout. I designed the cover. I got a graphic designer, my regular graphic designer to do the, the um, Photoshop version of the cover. Mm -hmm. And then I published it on Amazon. And then I sent her a cease and desist letter. <laughs> <laughs> Which you can do because you're also a lawyer. <laughs> yes. From the day I read her blog post to yeah. the day that book was available on Amazon was six weeks. Awesome. Because, yeah, I, at this point I was motivated. Sure. <laughs> um, but you know what? She did me an enormous favor because having the book is great. Yes, she did us all a favor. And, yes, thank you. <laughs> um, and I will also say that, and the research continues and it has built and the talk is now, if I did all of the content of this talk end to end, it would take probably about two and a half hours. Right. So when I get booked for a keynote, it's now very modular. I choose, you know, there's audiences that have no need to hear about the evolutionary biology of, you know, Darwin and Gustav Le Bon right. and all that. Um, there's audiences that have no need to hear about my boss preventing, you know, stopping me from having to do the scut work of right. the Blue Sky update. So I, I, I make it very modular. I customize it for the audience. I find out what the challenges are for women in their industry. Mm -hmm. And I make sure there are examples that go directly to that. So I'm speaking to people as to what they can do in their own business every day. Right. Um, but... It has developed so much. I really need, I really need to go back and update that book. I need to write all of this down so that all of it is in the book. And unfortunately, I'm a keynote speaker. <laughs> I'm the CEO of a tech company. <laughs> I run a publishing company. And I still write movies for Hallmark. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we, you're, you're like, well, so at the beginning when you didn't get the privilege of us introducing you. Um, I'm the self-professed uh -huh. queen of effing everything. You're the actual queen of effing everything. <laughs> so um, you're just 
absolutely the coolest. Um, we basically think you're a goddess. Yeah, we do. I mean, you are a true goddess. Um, you're brilliant. I, you're dynamic. You're beautiful. You're just... <laughs> Here. Oh, ladies, um, I so appreciate this. You are making me so, so, so happy. Well, but I also will, I want to share, and this is super important for all women to remember, you're seeing the highlight reel, not the behind-the-scenes movie. But, well, that's okay, though. Your highlight reel is pretty damn awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we all Thank know, you. yes, of, um, behind the scenes, not all of us are always put together. Um, that's okay, too. Um, you know, but what you've you're the package you've put together for us um we're so grateful that you've decided to share it with us um is there anything that we should talk about that we didn't um while we still got you for the next just a couple minutes so we can let you yeah, off, to, off to your busy I life wanna, <laughs> i want to end with this women sit in our offices some days and we say, oh my gosh, I'm such a fraud. I'm such a phony. I don't belong here. At any moment, someone's going to walk in and take this all away. They're going to figure me out. It's called the imposter syndrome. We all experience it. And men experience it too, but women experience it at a higher degree, particularly women who are working in workplaces that don't reward their natural instincts. Mm -hmm. And so we think that and then we think, no, wait, I'm not. That's not true. I'm not good at, I'm good at this job. I can do this. Well, the way neural pathways work is you've already reinforced the I'm a fraud neural pathway. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter what you think after that. And if you want to change your neural pathways, which is completely within your control, what you need to do is come up with five different affirmations for yourself about how good you are at your job. Something like, I am so valuable at this. Mm -hmm. They are so lucky to have me. I have grown so much in this role in the last year. I can't believe what I'm capable of doing. Write down five of those and then pick five different times during the day, whether it's when you first get to your office, right before lunch, right after lunch, right before you leave the office, right before you go to bed at night. Pick one of those and say it to yourself or if you can out loud five times. So you have five different affirmations you pick five times during the day. For each one of them, you say it out loud five times. When you do that, you will be creating a neural pathway. And when you create that neural pathway, you stop having those imposter syndrome thoughts. And amazingly enough, the more you start to believe how valuable you are, the more everyone else around you just naturally reacts to your value. Awesome. Okay, we'll do that. Well, I know. Please do. <laughs> I know that your book is on Amazon, and if people want to know more about you, they can go to your website, which is speakhappiness.com. Uh, is there Correct. anything else you want to share with the people who are listening? I do want to share one more thing. Of course. I gave a TED talk, Yay! and the <laughs> TED talk is called "How to Outsmart Your Own Unconscious Bias." Awesome. Awesome. And I would really love for people to watch that and share it. Please share it because it is so important. Some of the things we talked about today are in it, but there's a lot more about, again, everything I do is brain science. And there's a lot more in there about the brain science of unconscious bias. Every single one of us is bias. Mm -hmm. It's what kept our species alive for 7 million years. We instantaneously react to the unexpected. 
No matter what you consciously think of it, when you encounter the unexpected, your brain has a reaction. And that's okay. That's why you're a human being. None of us in a hundred lifetimes will be able to defeat the instantaneous instinctive reactions our brains have. Mm -hmm. But we have to be aware of them. The insidious thing about unconscious bias is not the bias part. It's the unconscious Mm -hmm. part. Mm-hmm. So that's what my TED talk is about. So I want everyone to watch it and share it because if we can work together, we can really, really create any a system that is provides equal opportunity to everybody. That's one of the other blood libels against feminism is people who think, oh, everyone thinks that women should have the same outcomes as men regardless of what they do. No, not true. We just want the same opportunity. Yep. And that's what you said when, you know, the key takeaway from me, for me from that was when we work together um, and not, we're not working against each other, including within, within our same sex against our other sexes, you know, we are working, if we work together, there's amazing things we can accomplish. um, And we should do that. And we will absolutely share that talk on yes. our Facebook. Um, our Facebook will have that, and our website will have links to all your books and your um, website, your TED Talk, everything. So, um, thank you again. We cannot thank you enough for being on and having the dogs make an appearance too. <laughs> of course, it makes us so happy. Actually, <laughs> it's, that's great. It's awesome. So, thank you so much again. We know you're really busy, and um, hope you have a rest, a great rest of your weekend and safe travels out there. And thank you again so much. We'll be in touch in the near future. This was such a pleasure. It was an absolute joy for me. I'm so glad we had this conversation today. Thank you, Valerie. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye now. Bye.